Hello. In Julius Caesar's conquests, humans learned the meaning of an all-consuming war machine. In the Crusades, humans learned the meaning of fighting simply because of perceived differences. In sundry civil wars, the American Civil War, the Wars of the Roses, the Sengoku period of Japan, humans learned the meaning of conflict more difficult to face than us and them, that of myself and my compatriots. But none of those cruel lessons is quite as sickeningly powerful as the one learned by humanity in the First World War. That innocence is a precious thing, one lost all too quickly when one does not understand the gravity of their own power. In those months and years and whole decades before that hideous conflict that was to become the world's introduction to modern warfare broke out, it was tradition for European nations to periodically break out into squabbles, petty arguments of the rulers, albeit arguments that lost thousands of lives. But that was simply the way of things. Every fifty or twenty or ten years or so, a fight would break out between this and that nation over this or that issue. Muskets would be fired, swords would be drawn and sharpened on the armor of fallen enemies, and men would perish. But from the perspective of the leaders, in the long run, a few men lost for a cause that dampened the bloodlust of a nation for a decade or so was no great disaster. It was simply the natural cycle of life in the European system of being. Countries bickered, a treaty was found, and a modicum of peace was attained until the next upheaval. The cycle had settled into a rhythm where the deaths, well devastating to the countries and families who sustained them, were not detrimental to the world and to the working system of the country at large just a few years after a war. The European powers were innocent, almost like children at play. That is, until the tidings of the First World War ribbed across the landscape. It started out as just another of the pointless squabbles between the nations. A person entangled with government had been killed, and the country of his origin was demanding revenge. But, as it is with many things in life, it did not remain that simple. Both countries involved in the initial struggle... Serbia, the assassinator, and Austria-Hungary, the country whose officer had suffered extinguishment from the planet, had alliances. And those allied countries were dragged into the war, which naturally meant that their enemies and those enemies' allies were slated for conflict as well. Before long, much of Europe had tipped itself over to one side or another, like a massive game of dominoes spanning miles. Yet even that casting of alignments might not have sealed Europe's fate at learning its horrible lesson, 
Wars like the Seven Years' War had been fought on large scales before, without consequences that rot in one's bones until one dies. It was, more than anything, the advent of new weapons, of gas and tanks and flamethrowers and machine guns making their debut just in time to burn and shoot and poison during a large-scale conflict. Before the First World War, combat had been conducted mainly with swords and rifles, imprecise at the best of times, and, in the chaotic field of battle, a venture more likely to miss than hit. And the dawn of the First World War, soldiers trooped out to battle toting machine guns and poison gas, yet still wearing metal armor from the 1800s, better suited to sabers than semi-automatics. They were slaughtered. In the Italian-Turkish War of 1911, there were 20,000 casualties. No mean number, especially when considering that every number in those statistics is a human life. But that war was fought roughly two years before World War One reared its ugly head, without much of the technology that would make the latter conflict infamous. When we take a glance at the casualties of World War One, they are disquieting. Eighteen million four hundred seven thousand eight hundred lives lost. Some might say that comparing these numbers is pointless. The Italian-Turkish War didn't last half as long as the First World War, and the amount of countries and men involved in it was a fraction of those at each other's throats only three years later. But it was not just the number of men poured into the conflict or the length of time the war dragged on. It was the weapons used and the way in which they were regarded. The European powers stepped into the war's innocence, at least in the ways of the warfare we know today. We'll be home by Christmas, they all said, thinking that this struggle would be like all the others, short and sweet and over as soon as they got their bid for blood out of their system. But that Yuletide hope was not to be, for the war rolled itself outward for years and years as trenches were dug in response to bullets that swarmed like vengeful bees and, and gas that choked and burned and sent men screaming to places worse than any hell they could imagine. The war, that war changed Europe irreparably. This is history, and facts and numbers counted with a growing sense of despair. But where, in all of this bloodshed and conflicting empires and strangely innocent hopes of a Christmas homecoming, is silence? It is the lack of silence, of quiet, of thinking and knowing in this situation that is the true catalyst of this episode. War is always created from a lack of silence and a disconnect with some of the things that make us human, our empathy our compassion, our adaptability, and ability to find new solutions to old problems. But World War I is a particular case, primarily because its breed of a disconnect is so devastating. 
The European powers did not know their own strength when they marched into battle, bearing weapons meant to be tested right then and there. The flamethrower, the tank, the myriad brands of poison gas found so effective on enemy eyes and minds. They had no inkling of the power that they wielded, and so they were not prepared to face it fully, armor-clad and Christmas-hoping as they were. And to some degree, there was no way that they could ever be truly prepared for that awful potency until they saw it enacted on the battlefield. There was no way that whatever effect the weapons would have could ever be predetermined by the most gifted psychic. But the nations could have foreseen something about the tools of war they wielded. They could have looked, could have listened to the scientists manufacturing the gas, the tank, the spinning, coiled machine gun. If they hadn't let their innocence to the situation blind them, if they had taken a silent moment to look within and truly know themselves and the power that they wielded, then perhaps they could have realized the gravity of what they were about to do and prepared themselves better for it. As it was, those countries slaughtered each other and lost whatever modicum of innocence they possessed along the way. And that loss of innocence, that sudden decline from childhood to a bleak maturity marked by blood, is why I have chosen the poem Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll. "'Twas brillig, and the slithy toves did gyring gimble in the wave. All mimsy were the borogroves, and the momraths outgrabe. Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, and the claws that catch. Beware the jubjub bird, and shun the frumness of bandersnatch. He took his vorpal sword in hand, long time the maxim foe he sought. So, est so rested he by the tum-tum tree, and stood a while in thought. And as in uffish thought he stood, the jabberwock with eyes of flame came whiffling through the tulgy wood, and burbled as it came. One, two, one, two, and through and through the vorpal blade went snicker-snack. He left it dead, and with its head he went galumping back. And hast thou slain the Jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy. O frabjous day, kaloo, kalay, he chortled in his joy. Twas brillig, and the slilly toves did gyring gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the borogroves, and the momraths outgrabe. Jabberwocky is innocent. Jabberwocky is childish, full of foolish words nonsensical to the ears. But it has a darker core to it. The monster is dead, slain, and nothing in this earth can make it return to life. The smiter of the beast is triumphant, yes, but he has lost something, an innocence after his vorpal blade goes snicker-snack. Once lost, innocence can never be regained, not truly, and it is a terrible thing to go through the world without. So it is up to us, the people, the countries, the world, to look deep, to uncover that innocence and hold it tight, to keep the nonsense of the Jabberwock somewhere within, 
but also to know ourselves and be aware of our power well enough so as to avoid the fate of the nations of Europe once they let their weapons run rampant. It is a narrow line we all must walk, but one imperative to balance, to peace, and to life. So look inside yourself. Find the silence to help you recognize the power you wield, but the nonsense to allow innocence a foothold in your mind as well. Balance can never be attained with just one side alone. Questions? Comments? Concerns? Contact me at explorer.silence.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you.